Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is happening, gang? We are jacked because the start of the NFL season is upon us. Week one is finally here. We've been through it this whole offseason. We've given you everything you need to know to be ready for this season. But in today's episode, we're going to give you kind of our condensed season preview. We're going to dive into a lot of the hot topics that are at the top of Bill's mind as we head into week one of the NFL. From how the rookie quarterbacks performed in the offseason to probably something I don't think a lot of people have focused on quite enough which is some of the changes to the rules in the league and some of these points of emphasis that the officials are going to be looking at as we head into the season. This is truly a unique window into Bill's mind, and I think you're going to have everything you need to be ready to fully enjoy week one. Before we dive into today's show, I want to take a minute and talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod, Bet Online. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all your pro and college football action this season get all the updated odds props and contests including online's biggest half a million dollar nfl mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar nfl survivor contest open now at bet online so what are you waiting for head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your hundred percent welcome bonus take advantage of their opening day super promo it equals make a bet on thursday night september 9th season opener between the super bowl champion buccaneers and the dallas Cowboys, and if you lose, your wager will be refunded. Up to $25 for new customers only when signing up using promo code NFL100. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, what are we waiting for? Sign up today. All right, gang, this is a big one. This is our NFL season preview on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. So I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball soon in Spain. Apparently, he's going to try out for Paul Gasol's team. He's been taking a new product that he owes the credit to, Balance 7. Balance 7 is the pH balancing alkaline supplement drink. It's like vitamins or supplements in liquid form. Just one ounce a day, three times a day, in a week, you'll see the effects. I know as we head into fall, I'm always looking for ways to increase my energy. Summer's over. It's a little glummer. The weather's starting to change. You know you got five or six months of just terrible weather in front of you, and it's harder and harder to get up in the morning. So if you need a boost, Balance 7 may be the product for you. I know it's been super helpful for me. You can see how Balance 7 has helped. And right now, if you go to Balance7.com and use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, you'll get 10% off their 32-ounce bottle. The bottle lasts 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink go to work. Again, that's head over to Balance7.com and use the promo code BELIEVE at checkout. B-L-E-A-V at checkout. I did. If it worked for me, I know it can work for you, too. All right. We are live on the Inside Football Podcast. It is that week. The season is upon us. I am unnaturally excited. How are we doing today, guys? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Ready to go. Uh, we're, yeah, ready to go. It's, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it'll be an interesting season for many reasons, some of which we'll get into in this show. Well, Polian Bowl 2021, lock it in, 
Sunday, one o'clock, the football team and the Chargers. It's going to tear at our heartstrings, but I think I know who Bill might be rooting for in this one. That's rough. It's going to be a tough one, but you, yeah. you, you're you're part of the family now, so we yeah. you, you got to be with us. Yeah. Well, there's also some other strong yeah, reasons. There's to be other real you. family yeah. that you got to yeah, do. Yeah, with. yeah, yeah. So. Um, All right. Well, here we go. So in today's episode, we're going to dive into our season preview. And we thought we'd hit on three areas. Kind of the first, focusing on some broad themes. Middle part of the show, we're going to dive into a rookie quarterback breakdown. Then we're going to end with some really fascinating stuff in officiating that I don't think you're going to hear anywhere else. But so, Bill, I think we got to start here. What are you most curious about and interested in headed into this 2021 season? Well, a number of things, but in in, in no particular order, but in the front of my mind, which is, it's, yeah, as Rick knows, it's rather empty, so it's rattling around in there. Uh, the, uh, the 17th game, the question there, there are a number of questions, but the principal question is, is that going to be a tipping point? Meaning that we will have hit the wall and injuries will occur uh, and and we'll have all kinds of, of crazy things happen in, in weeks 17 and 18 of the of the season. Or will it just be business as usual, uh, just as the change from 14 to 16 was? We had to get adapted a little bit, but not much. So I'm anxious to see how that happens. Um, there's data that I can point to, Colts data, based on 10 years of, of the same coaching staff and the same practice regimen and a lot of the same players that told us that from week nine on, injuries grow exponentially. Week nine is the nine contests is the is the is the tipping point so adding one more to that what's how's that going to affect the playoff teams how's it going to affect play in week 17 we don't know any of that so and there's no sense in in, in speculating and we, it'll probably take five years before we really know what the uh you know what the outcome is um the league is anticipating and 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 effect, in effect, agreeing with the the idea that week nine begins the sort of downturn in, in physical efficiency by putting keeping in place the, the, the regulations that were put in place for COVID last year, and that's a you know a sixteen man practice squad with four people el eligible who played at any length of time in the league for vested veterans, for example, um, uh, movement on game day to effectuate COVID um, three weeks on injured reserve and unlimited return from injured reserve. And so while COVID is not rampant in the league, um, I, I, they're using that really as cover to expand the rosters um, and, and cover from some owners who would not have wanted <laughs> the rosters expanded that, that much. Yeah, I can think of a couple. 
in order to uh, in order to effectuate um, decent football as we extend the season and and as we add the Thursday night game in and all the other things that that um, have come about um, during during Roger Goodell's commissionership. So um, I'm going to be anxious to see how it all works. I, if you want to, if you want to, there will be people, I think next year, if, if this goes well and we, and we put COVID please God behind us, there will be people who want to go back to the old injured reserve rules. That ain't happening. <laughs> that <Yeah>. ship has sailed. <laughs> yeah. That ship has sailed. <laughs> That's for head coaches falling their swords. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or lead the or storm park heaven. <laughs> Do you think so, we'll see rosters expand though next year? No, I, I think what you'll see is these rules remain in effect. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. And, and as we as Rick and I know that has all kinds of ripple effects throughout the industry. For one thing, with a 16 man practice squad, there is no reason for any, any kind of a startup league or any kind of a feeder league, any kind of a developmental league, none whatsoever. There won't be any players to stock it, you know, players of note. Uh, If the XFL does get going and I question whether they will or not, um, it, it'll be nothing more than a sandlot league, really, or just a glorified sandlot league, because there won't be any, yeah, there won't be any players to play unless they get the rock um, back on the field. Well, but perhaps <laughs> yeah. I don't know if everybody's going to want to watch that. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that I don't put uh, I don't put asses in seats, but I, and I don't interesting know. enough, mm-hmm. we were talking off the air. Rick and I were involved in the Alliance of American Football um, at the time that that they talked to me about heading up the football operations. I said, you know, this is a great idea, assuming the NFL doesn't expand the practice squads. If they expand right. the practice squads, and of right. course no one anticipated COVID at that point, and no one really anticipated 17 games at that point. Uh, I said, if they expand the practice squads, you don't have a viable league because there won't be any, there won't be enough players. And with 16 guys on a practice squad and four of them vested veterans, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about, um, I mean, there's nobody left to play. <laughs> yeah, <Time's laughs> of any pretty, of any note. Yeah. So, do, uh, do you think we'll see actual like NBA style load management this yeah. year with players? I do. I do. I've talked to a number of people in the league who are right now considering it. I talked to one team who has an early buy who said we have to do it. They have an early buy and a mid-range Thursday night game. Everybody plays one Thursday night game. The, the league office calls that a mini buy. That's malarkey. It's it's you know it, it, it's a, it's a it's a terrible game on a short week. Yeah, exactly. And now because of television, uh, they, they find. I mean, they make no bones about it privately. You're going to go from East Coast to West Coast to play a Thursday night game. Uh, you know. And so what? That's that's just the way it is. You know, you want yeah. the television money. That's what you have to do. Uh, that was a, a paraphrase of you know, someone who's very close to those negotiations. So uh, that ship has sailed as well. The idea that you played the Thursday night games within divisions and 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 you you, you only traveled one time zone at, at most. Yeah. Forget. It. Yeah. So. Um, 
now you're going to have teams uh, playing on Sunday in Jacksonville and, and Thursday in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. No. They're going um, to try and avoid it as much as possible, but but it's it's going to happen. And and once they do it once, and and no one, you no know, catastrophe occurs, then it's it, it's it's sort of accepted. Right. So um, they'll do it. Bill, let me ask it, you this: Do you do you think with the a couple of things with the way the league also has set up the schedule, uh, emphasizing the end of the season? Uh, with conference intra-division uh, games, uh, will the load management come sort of, and it'll vary with team, you know, as to their buys, but would that sort of come in the middle of the season or, do you, you know, when they start resting veterans or do you think they're going to basically have veterans just play less throughout the whole season? Um, per game, I think that, per game. I think that, it's a it's a good question, I, I think, and I've gotten mixed um, messages from sports science guys that I've spoken to, which, by the way, is not surprising. They're, they're, sports science is not a homogeneous community. Right. It's unsettled are, yeah. law. Yeah. yeah, it's unsettled law. Well, yeah. thank you. Great phrase. Good, good, good uh, one, Scott. There, there you go. The, uh, We're hearing that a lot uh, these days. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different, the, the, for, different uh, forum, different forum. Problem is we, what we thought was set of law is now unsettled. <laughs> exactly. <right>. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the uh, how do you like that, Mr. Chief Justice? You know? Yeah, ex- exactly. Hey, at least uh, <laughs> you well. promised us differently, but <laughs> it ain't worked out that way. Uh, just, just as a, as an aside, there's so much of the world yeah. that, you know, as an old guy, I look back and say, how could this ever have happened? But it has. It has. Who would ever thought that we'd have a president that would deny the results of an election? Right. Yeah. Never, ever. Unthinkable. It never happened before. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we're running into a lot of things that have never happened before. We live in a world that's written in pencil right now, not yeah, so much well, in another, pencil. Another yeah. good phrase. Yeah. Another uh, good phrase. If you, if and you and just for those of us that were raised with pen and ink, Exactly. Uh, much of it indelible. Uh, yeah. Boy, oh boy, it is a, it's a shocker. Anyway, yeah. uh, the, the uh, I think that that the sports science people have split on it. Okay. I think you'll see some load management in games where teams clearly have uh, a decided advantage where they say, okay, I can rest this guy, I can rest that guy, I can rest the other guy. And don't forget, if you're going to arrest them, uh, all you have to do is put them on the injury report as 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 having right. a nick and and questionable, and and you know then you go. Yeah. There are other sports science people who say, if you're going to practice him, what's the point of not playing him? Right. They start with the premise that anytime he's on his feet, it's debilitating. So if you're not going to arrest him for the whole week. Why are you playing? I, I don't know who's right. Right. I'm so, sure we're going to have some uh, examples so, of each this year to pick from. And, and, and let, me, let me also follow up on one other thing you said, because you and I have talked about this in, it, in the AF days and, and otherwise. Uh, you've taught me that overall, uh, for every game you play, there's one 
serious injury. And by serious, we mean something that would have put players on the old IR list where they'd be out for the season. It's basically one per game. You're, you've, you've now um, added in uh, the more sophisticated and, and sort of uh, another complex factor that, that though it's not really steady, that there is, uh, there is a, um, a point of, uh, at which in the ninth game, things sort of change. So my question is, in the ninth game, Bill, is it that from then on, is it that more people get injured, including minor injuries, or do the, the, does the injury count stay the same, but are the injuries more severe after nine weeks? All right. Let me. Let me. First of all, you you you've kind of mixed up some statistics there. So let me let me clarify right. it okay. and, and make sure everybody understands. Make sure everybody understands what I'm talking about. When I say one serious injury per game, it, it, it's not a season ender. It's one that would be four to six weeks, which is where you're debating whether or not to put him on injured reserve. Right. Okay. Okay. So. Thanks. In the old days, if you put him on injured reserve, he was gone for the season. So that was a debate as to whether or not you put him on. So for every game you play, you have one of those four to six week injuries each game, sometimes more, but you certainly have one. Secondly, um, with, with respect to the ninth week, what our, what, what we found was that up to week nine, you're not on that one per week serious injury train. It, it sort of chugs along, you know, one of those every couple of weeks, maybe you might have one, maybe you might have two in a game and then you'll go a couple of games without one. And then once you hit week nine, okay. the frequency of injury, mm -hmm. not severity, but the frequency of injury okay. picks up. Now, why is that important? Because as the players are, and, the, and, the, and the broadcasters are fond of saying, <clears throat> by the time they, they say it every week in the National Football League, it's not true. By the time you, you hit week nine and beyond, everybody's nicked up a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So the question then is, how do you practice? Um, how do you play? Who do you sit? Who can play with what injury? All of those questions are resolved every Monday night, asked and answered every Monday night. And the situation gets worse as the season goes on. Here's a typical response of a doctor. Um, So-and-so has, a, high, uh, has a, uh, a relatively mild high ankle sprain. And we know that a sprain is a slight tear in a muscle, right? That's, that's the definition of a sprain. It's, it means that the muscle is not torn asunder. It's torn within the fibers of the muscle. So <clears throat> it can be you sprain your wrist, sprain your ankle. You can have a high ankle sprain, which is a tib-fib sprain. You can have all kinds of sprains. Right. Some are more, more difficult to play with and dangerous to play with than others. So Rick has a 
high ankle sprain, you know, a mild high ankle sprain. And so I would say to the doctor, well, what do you think? He said, it's four to six. Um, and so he's a fast healer. So we, and we know what the healing rate is of every player. That's a, a statistic that clubs keep and people heal at different levels. I'll explain that in a, in a second. Um, and so you, uh, you say, well, you know, we certainly don't want to put him on IR because we want him back for the playoffs. This is only week 10. Um, so I guess we just sit him. And he said, and the doctor would say, yeah, sit him. Now, if this were the Super Bowl, I'd probably tape him up and, right. and let him give it a try. Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> but right. it's not. Put me in, coach. So, so let's, let's let him go. Now, when those mount up, you have to have players that you can play in that player's place for four to six weeks. And you're not the same because if that's Dwight Freeney, uh, heavens to Betsy, you don't have anybody right. as good as Dwight Freeney to put in there. Yeah. So the whole equation changes, which leads me to my second biggest, and it might be my biggest concern regarding 17 weeks, injuries, attrition, et cetera. We now have things we thought we'd never see, legalized gambling, right? Yep. The league is in bed with it a thousand percent, five basic, you know, gambling sponsors and, and who knows how many on the, on the club level. Um, and so it's important that our listeners pay attention to the following statements that I'm going to make because very much like the virus from those who lose bets, you're going to hear tons of disinformation, tons of garbage that is not true because there will be commentators and writers who are playing to that audience. Yep. There will be commentators and writers who are paid by the gambling institutions to promote garbage. And so I'm really concerned, as is Commissioner Tagliabue, uh, as to what the what the he made a statement about that shortly before he was uh, enshrined in the Hall of Fame about what the what the what, what the culture is going to look like surrounding that. So having said that, let me say the following. When you hear an injury estimate from a club, it is just that, an estimate. Every human being heals at a different rate, depending on the severity of injury, the, the physiology, the age of the player, the position he plays. All of that enters into it. And it's individual by nature. So you, I guarantee you are going to hear. Uh, you live on the internet, Scott, so you're probably already hearing. Yeah, it, there's but, a little bit. But you will, I guarantee you will hear. Why isn't so-and-so back? They said he was going to be back in four to six weeks. What's going on here? Fire the damn doctor. 
That's nonsense. Right. That's like saying the vaccine uh, allows people to uh, track your movement. Right. And your yeah. cell phone doesn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, right. but that's out there and it's dangerous. People are dying because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope yeah. this is we're in the fun and games department. Right. So so the the, the you're gonna hear that. You're gonna hear commentators questioning players' courage. You're certainly gonna hear callers to talk in shows, uh and, and uh call in shows, I should say, and uh and people on the internet questioning players' courage, and you will hear coaches. I I, I predict you'll hear coaches' uh, um, integrity question as to whether or not they're playing a, a certain player for reasons that have nothing to do with the the bets on this week's game. And the lines are going to swing back wildly, I think, uh, based on who may or may not play. And I, I don't know that. The clubs in the NFL can be any more forthcoming than they are now when you compare it to other sports. Oh, yeah. We're as forthcoming well, as it's yeah. possible to well, be. Well, yeah, it's not like hockey where it's like well, upper body or mm, yeah. lower body. Yeah. But you are going to hear yeah. talk show hosts say, well, I want to see the MRI. Yeah. I got it right. I have my own doctor here. Yeah, right. Dr. Right. Smoltz is right here. And he disagrees with the Colts doctor. Let him look at the MRI. That's called a second opinion, which the players are entitled to, but the public and the gambling public specifically mm-hmm. are not. Yeah, exactly. and usually those appointments and, are triaged at eight a.m. on the radio. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. And 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 they and they are made without the opportunity to see the MRI. Oh, I don't care what the MRI says. This is kind of injury. He should be back. You know, they don't have the facts. Uh, it's ridiculous, but I will say one thing, Bill. You're right. We're in the fun and games department, except when it comes to one thing: money. Yeah. No more fun and games when it comes to money. No, that's right. It, it, legalized gambling is going to bring out, assuming it increases the volume of, of, of betting, and I'm, I'm making that assumption. Um, it's going to bring out the worst in people because there is no, uh, there, there is no, per, you know, they say. Uh, uh, nothing's worse than a woman scorned. Nothing, believe me, a woman scorned is 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 not even in the same universe with a better who lost a bet. <laughs> yeah, I had a call-in show every Monday night in Indianapolis to talk about the, the previous yep. game and the vitriol that, that that came from gamblers was. I mean, you right. knew it was from gamblers right. without question. So, um, it, that's not good for the sport. Uh-huh. Commissioner Taggart once called it corrosive, and 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 he's right. It's not good for the sport. So I worry about what that's going to look like. And it's, but it's very important. And let me reiterate this: it's very important that people recognize that injury estimates are just that estimates. Mm-hmm. They're not cast in concrete. Secondly, every player heals at a different rate, and third. And most important, players coming off serious injuries where they miss significant time, let's say eight to 12 weeks, um, six to 12 weeks, they miss significant time. They are not the same player when they come back in the lineup. They're able to play, but they don't play at the same level of efficiency for a couple, sometimes three, four weeks. So, you see that in baseball. 
And, and the, the good news is, and it, since I've been, uh, you know, laid up with the, the bum hip while I'm doing is watching baseball, uh, which I'm happy, <laughs> happy to do. Uh, the baseball announcers, to their credit, make that point. So-and-so, uh, Xander Bogarts has been out for 20 games. Uh, Glaber Torres has been out for 25 games. He's going to need another week or 10 days to get his swing back, to get his timing back. They understand that. I'm not sure football fans and football commentators do. So um, that that's a that's a big worry for me. I hope I'm you know I tend to be a worry wart, but um, I, I hope it turns out better than that. But my experience tells me that it's something to worry about. Yeah, money makes everything worse. Can't we just have the one thing that was fun? <laughs> just be fun. Yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe it won't lead to an explosion of of, of, of gambling. Maybe, maybe, as some pundits have stated, we've already got a saturation of gambling. It was just illegal and under the table, and now yeah. it's now it's out in the open. Yeah. So if that's the case, then good. Yeah. But it's important for fans of all stripes, whether they gamble or not, to recognize that the injury estimates are just that every yeah. player is different. And when they come back in the lineup, they're not the same player that they were when they left. Yeah. And, and also some, some injuries, if uh, re-exposed to trauma, which is what we're talking about again, are much more likely to, you know, uh, become m- you know much worse than other kinds of injuries, right? I mean, if it, if it's a certain kind of thing, okay, if you tape it, you do this, but like a weight bearing joint, or you know, there 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 are things you just can't rush, and if it goes slower than it is, at some point, the player's health has to be taken into account. Well, I do think I I, I can say from my own personal experience, and I and I do believe the vast majority of the league. Um, no player goes back out on the field who's not capable of, of playing, not capable of defending himself. That 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 doesn't happen. Um, you know, you you might see a player who who you know needs to get braced or taped up uh, to play to make sure that there's some prophylaxis there. Yeah. But if, if there's a, a risk of re-injury, the docs don't put him back out. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree with that. I would say that over the course of our careers, though, uh, Bill, it, that's become more true. Uh, a player rights, pl- people protecting players, but also the investment you have in players getting so much bigger. Back in the '80s, you know, when the average salary was sixty thousand dollars, and guys were desperate to make it. I mean, and it's, it's also players who work against themselves, as you know, because players want to play. And they will try and, you know, get their way back onto the field. But I think you're right now, the safeguards are much better than they were. Yeah, they're, they're almost foolproof. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to put a player back out there who's not ready to go, yeah. even if he wants to. Exactly. All right. Well, real quick, before we dive into the quarterbacks, what did you think of the three-game preseason? Did you like it? Do you think it worked? How, how do you think you would approach it next year after now seeing it? Well, the approach is what I expected it would be. Uh, you need four to five contests to determine uh, who's going to make the team and to get people ready to play. And so um, even teams that did not necessarily like joint practices um, uh, employed them and used them because you, you need to get a look at your people. So uh, I think that's, that worked. Um, it, it, 
we were a team, for example, in Indianapolis, both Tony and I didn't like the idea of joint practices, but we had four preseason games to take a look at the team. Now you have only three. And, uh, and so we were, I'm certain we would have gone for one joint practice and maybe two. Uh, Bill Belichick, as he often does, showed the way um, a couple of years ago, maybe more than that, by uh, instituting the joint practice followed by a preseason game, which uh, in which the, the, the veteran players got the vast majority of the work in the joint practices and then did not play in the game. And, and the rookies got to play in the game and the young and the backup players got to play in the game, which I think is the, is the right way to do it because you can control the tempo to an extent. You can control the tempo of the, of the practices. You can't control the tempo of the game. So um, that I think went very well. Uh, the question is how ready are the teams going to be to play? I think it's at the point that I talked to someone this morning who agreed with me. I think that's a moot question at this point because fans don't give a damn and the media that really doesn't give a damn. Yeah. You know, we, we, we say, gee, that wasn't very good football. The tackling was lousy. Yeah, it was. So what? Yeah. Somebody won and somebody lost. Yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. The tackling was lousy. They scored a lot of right. points. So everybody was happy. Was there a so, score? Right. Was there a score at the end of the game? Yes, there was. Okay. So um, only the purists care about care yeah. about the 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 how the game was played and the zealots. Uh, it's it's interesting that you know there were. I was told this. I I don't live on the internet far from it, by the way. But the I was told that the overwhelming sentiment with the Notre Dame team um, Sunday night was. Um, yeah, we won the game. Great effort. Offense looked good. Defense looked lousy. And and then there were there was a small minority of people who said that was a lousy football game. They played awful. If they play that way, especially on defense, missed tackles, you know, bad gap integrity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for the rest of the season, they'll never win a game. Uh, polls apart, but the fact that. Most people said, yeah, hooray, they won. I think that's yeah. <laughs> that's the way fans look at it. They We look at it from a completely different point of view. Yeah. And, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, no. They're definitely a little agita after watching Penn State win week one at the, uh, yeah, there you go. the old there Schaefer household. <laughs> where's the offense? Not no. the cleanest well, game. I don't think Mertz is yeah. going to throw that level of interceptions in the red zone going into the rest of the season. No. I, I was feeling for you, Scott, when I was watching that game. It was I a knew, tough one. Uh, I knew you had to, you know, have a little. It, it was it was a nail biter. It yeah. was a nail biter. All right. Well, here we go. So, uh, Bill, do you feel like there was enough data to give away a paper mache Lombardi for the preseason? No, I don't think so. No, we yeah. don't because the veterans didn't play. Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of the quarterback grades and the paper mache Lombardi, I think that. That's a, um, a combination of things, three preseason games and the veterans not playing in the preseason games largely um, takes that opportunity away. 
But uh, the Ravens, uh, you got to give a little credit to yeah. Rick's squad. Well, 20 the in a row. streak stays alive. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to do research to see if that means a friggin' thing, and I'm not exactly sure, you know. But Well, don't don't bother doing the research. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, you know, uh, good. Right. You say, say uh, the reason time. I know that is because uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in 10 years in Buffalo and 14 in Indianapolis, I think we had uh, – we actually won preseason games three times. The rest of the time we were 0 and 4. <laughs> yeah. No, we, uh, let me all ask of you. Joe Gibbs' Super Bowl years, I feel like they were 0 and 4 in the preseason. So. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So it's, it's a record without a meeting, but it's still a record. Bill, let me ask you this. Some commentators you hear uh, recognizing the fact that the veterans were not playing commented on the fact, well, you do get to see the kind of depth and talent certain teams have beyond the starters over other teams. Any truth to that? I don't have any data to prove that. And I, anecdotally, I don't think it's necessarily true. It depends upon what the matchups are and who's playing against whom, uh, you know, rookie against rookie. What does that mean? Uh, it's just a glorified college game. Um, you know, Old established veterans against rookie. What does that mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I figured you'd shoot a hole through that and, you know, not, just want to throw it out there. Not a whole yeah. lot. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to dive now into our breakdown of the quarterbacks. I think, Rick, you had a general table setting question. Right. Get into the individual players themselves. Yeah. So, Bill, just, I'd like to understand from your point of view, uh, you know, and if we're, 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 we're if we're putting aside pressure uh, from media on the one hand or winning and losing a specific game on the other hand, and I know that's a boulder of an aside, but over the course of your career, if you were to get the quality of a first-round quarterback, let's, you know, let's just assume that's at a certain excellent level, and you you were optimizing bringing him along at the right pace with the right chance to observe, right chance to to do everything to learn. When would you think that most guys who have that kind of, at least apparently have that kind of talent, would be best served to be thrown into the fray? It depends upon what's around him. Um, let's take, uh, and the experience level he has at the college level, um, Paul Brown years ago talked about the eternal verities, the eternal truths of the game. They don't change, uh, even though the rules change and, and, and the money changes and all, all the, mm-hmm. you know, the surrounding hoopla changes, um, the eternal verities remain the same. Uh, it's a it's a physical game. It's a game played by men, not boys. Therefore, it's very dangerous to boys. Um, it, it's it's played at a highly sophisticated level, and it's combat. It's hand to hand combat. So that requires, and and it is the ultimate team game. It's it's twenty two people, yeah, interacting differently on every play. So that said, if you assume first round talent, 
um, and start there? It's a good question because it's the lead into how we'll grade these rookies. Right. Um, what you know about them is that they can throw the ball, that they're decent athletes, um, that their athletic ability is, is, is measurable and good enough to compete at the NFL level. Um, they have varying degrees of experience, varying degrees of maturity, and what you don't know about them is what their mental makeup is, mental and psychological makeup is. So you have to find that out. That's number one. Number two, because it is a game of a, 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 a team game, and it is a game of physical combat. You have to have veterans around him to really make him functional at all. If you don't, i.e. the Jacksonville Jaguars, you are putting yourself and him in, in a somewhat precarious situation. Why? Because he runs the risk of injury, i.e. Jim Plunkett, RG3, uh, or he runs the risk of a pretty serious physical and psychological damage because he takes a beating and, and develops bad habits and bad mechanics because he's trying to escape the rush all the time. He's looking at the rush, and, you know, People who've never been involved in, in combat sports, i.e. football, wrestling, mm -hmm. boxing, hockey, well, not lacrosse, lacrosse, not terribly combative. Um, th those sports um, don't understand what it's like to get punched out. <laughs> yeah, no. it's, not, it's not fun. It's not something you yeah. want to do every day. No. No, and it leaves psychological scars. You want to avoid being punched out. Yeah. Let's use the boxing example, which Bill Walsh always used. Bill Walsh was a boxer in college. You you if you if you've been knocked out a few times, you are literally gun shy. You yeah. don't want to get knocked out again. Yeah. You don't want to take that beating to yeah. say nothing of what the public is saying. So you, you you develop compensatory, um, you know, ways to avoid that. Those are called bad habits. Yeah, like so, running running away, <laughs> running away, throwing the ball back over the middle of the field, thinking you can make a play. All the things that, that rookies do. So when you don't when they're not surrounded by competent veterans, competitive veterans, then. Uh, it's best not to play them at all in a perfect world. Um, in Peyton Manning's case, he had played four years of college football. So he was experienced enough to know what the game was all about at the college level. Um, Trevor Lawrence has played three years of, of college football. That's, that's probably good enough. Um, Peyton was surrounded by... Marvin Harrison for one, Marshall Falk for another, two Hall of Famers. Um, you know, uh, Tarek Glenn, who had he had a long career, would definitely be a Hall of Fame consideration. Um, Adam Meadows, who was a very 
a competent player, Kenny Dilger, who was a borderline, you know, all pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there were people there that made his job easier. He didn't play efficiently. He still holds the record for rookie interceptions. But we were able to put him out there and let him learn and let him make the rookie mistakes under fire because we were confident that we had people around him that wouldn't put him in a bad position. He might put himself in a bad position or put the team in a bad position because he made a mistake. But somebody else's mistake wouldn't get him hurt. Um, Conversely, Jim Plunkett, in his in his days, his rookie days with the New England Patriots, was surrounded with you know very little talent, and as a result, got the living daylights beaten out of, yeah. and and almost ended his career. He went for a long period of time as a reclamation project, a backup, a guy who sat on the bench. Car in Houston, the elder car. Yeah, this is the scary analogy, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, you know, he started long before he should have with an expansion team, uh, which had nothing surrounding him. And it, it just it ended his career. He was beaten to to a pulp and and never recovered. So um, but that's you, the danger that you run. Well, we know you hate stories, but just in thinking through hearkening back to historical examples, that David Carr thing's eerily similar. Decent interior to pretty good interior of that offensive line, bad tackles, and not a lot around him. That sounds a lot like what Trevor Lawrence could be facing this year one. It's hard to say. He's got Chark uh, and he's got Chenault. So he's got two receivers. He has no tight end, which is which is really bad uh, you know, for a rookie quarterback, because that's that's the way to that guy bails him out on a lot of occasions. Um, you're right. He has no tackles. Um, you know, I don't know how good the defense is or isn't. He's got now one running back because ATN is gone for the season. Um, so I, I would guess a one and a half, the Ohio state kid is, is good for a while, you know, but he can't take a lot of carries and he's, 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 he's marginally functional. Uh, Robinson is, is, is the guy, um, they may they may have to ride him, but you know Trevor's got enough ability to avoid the rush, and hopefully he appeared to have learned in the preseason not to run into car crashes any longer. Right. Uh, you know yeah. that it's much better to slide than it is to to, to get whacked in the face. Um, but he he wasn't playing against veterans either, so um, you hope that he gets through it, but. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. Because that their tackle situation is like historically bad, right? It's yeah. It's oh my god, bad. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, uh, what are we doing? So in 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 watching him, Bill, and and you know, because as you were talking about before, uh, pressure, both both physical pressure uh, as well as pressure being out there playing a position, you know, can force you to do things where you change your mechanics, where you you, you don't even do the things that you did so well in college from what, from the play that you saw him put in, I don't know how many games you saw, but uh, what did you think of given the, the, the difficulty, did you see that underlying talent 
um, rising to the level where you think he can reasonably overcome it? Or, or is he in just for a, a nightmare? Well, the, 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 here's the here's the thing. In the, in the preseason, you, you, the, play, the play is, is is not as intense, nearly as intense as it is in the regular season. And in this particular preseason, no rookies were playing against veterans. So, uh, you know, normally I would give him an A minus grade. I thought he improved as the season went along, but that's that. It's meaningless. I'm not going to grade on a curve. It's 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 really. Mm-hmm. a C plus because you, you don't know what he's going to do uh, when he gets in against the regular people. And you don't know what the coaching staff is going to do in terms of how to protect him. I mean, you should use two tight ends. If you don't have two tight ends, you should, you should put a tackle in there. Do you know, have they made any roster moves to bring on extra tight ends? I haven't checked recently, but I, nothing jumped at me. So uh, you know, if you're going to have them spread out and you're going to have those tackles pass block, it could be a long year. Yeah, no, it could be. All right, let's move on to next candidate, Mac Jones. What did you like? What did you not like? How how high is the pressure on Mac Jones in New England? Well, you know, one of the things I liked was he, I think he's got his feet firmly on the ground uh, and 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 his head's in the right place. Uh, he's had great training under Nick Saban. Uh, it's very similar to what he's now facing with Bill. So he's the ultimate. He's, he's a realist. I don't think the pressure will bother him too much. Um, that's a good thing. Um, how well does he throw? Well enough. Uh, it, it, you know, as we know, now when real football starts and not draft football, real football, uh, which is what the draft is for, um, arm strength it counts very little, right? So um, it's good enough. Uh, yeah, you know, can he rifle it sixty yards across the field? Uh, no, and and have it measured by next gen stats as how many miles an hour? You know, no, and who cares? Bill Belichick's not gonna not gonna right. ask him <laughs> yes. to do that. Yeah. Um. So. Um pocket presence uh i would give him a b minus i thought he was a bit discombobulated when they got good rush on him uh, what else is new every quarterback is um pocket presence in terms of of knowing where to go with the ball and seeing it quickly a Again, not facing sophisticated defenses, but still far and away better than all the rest of the yeah. of the rookie quarterbacks. Um, escape ability, uh, D, can't do it. Right. Uh, so you, you just build your offense around that. Yeah. Uh, if he's you know he's able to find daylight and run straight ahead for four or five yards, that's about it. Um, in terms of understanding what he's been asked to do and having commanded a huddle and especially running the two minute drill, which he did in the second half for the second preseason game, which by the way, is where I think he won the job. Um, hey, he was, he was terrific at it. And uh, so the fact that he only played one year, actually got on the field for one year at Alabama um, is not, really dispositive. I mean, he, he looks like he's played a long time yeah. and understands the game. So 
Uh, that's why he won the job. He was, yeah. he was, people say, well, Cam was unvaccinated. It's put on baloney. Yeah. He played way better than Cam Newton for the, from start to finish. Yep. Um, Bill, let me ask, you know, so I know you and I uh, both really liked him coming out. Uh, and he does seem to be, you know, in terms of processing and understanding and decision-making and equipment of that processing, it does seem to be there, but, and I know he's only played against the rookies. That aside though, uh, let's let's discuss something we've touched on in the past too. What happens not just in the case of Max' case, but especially as a quarterback, when you go from being surrounded by overwhelmingly superior talent, the cast around you versus your opponent, to going into a place where, especially if you're a high round quarterback, it's usually not a great team, but you're, but everybody's good, everybody's fast, everybody's good. How, you know, is, is the transition for somebody who came out of that juggernaut type situation even harder than for a guy who came out who's good but came out from a, just a, a solid college football team? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think if he's got the capability of making the plays and he's got the good fundamentals, he'll be fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It matters the level he played. It doesn't matter the efficiency of the team with which he played. Okay. Uh, you know, you, you can't bring Terry Bradshaw in from Southwest Louisiana and, and, and expect him to play at a high level. Uh, you can't bring Lance in from North Dakota right. and expect him to play at a high level, but it doesn't matter whether you came from Wake Forest or, or, or Alabama, if, if, if you played at that level and you have the wherewithal, you'll be okay. Okay. All right. Now moving down the list, this is one that I think might be a little interesting. So Zach Wilson looked a little different than maybe we thought. What what are your thoughts on Zach Wilson through the preseason? Yeah, well, I didn't really have a handle on Zach Wilson. I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on him. I couldn't say that Zach Wilson is this guy. You know, oftentimes in scouting meetings, people will ask the question, who is he? And and the question will be answered, you know, who is Mac Jones? Uh you know, you've got a little Joe Montana in him. Whoa, hold on. Well, yeah, right. I mean, I know, but <laughs> yeah, Zach right. Wilson, Zach Wilson might have a little Derek Jeter in him. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, so I couldn't put my finger, I couldn't give a comparable on Zach Wilson. And then when I looked at the games chronologically, not only I watched by by the way, I watched every preseason game, but when I looked at them chronologically, I said he's a shortstop. He's he's the guy that that uh, when he stepped on the field in high school, he was the best player in baseball and he played shortstop and pitched and played center field. And uh, he was the quarterback in football and the point guard in basketball. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and no one, no one disputed that. And if he was a good guy, so much the better. If you, even if he was a, a jerk, he was still the best player <laughs> and, and everybody respected him. So that's what Zach Wilson is. He's a shortstop. He, he can, he's athletically can make every play. Uh, he's got control of his body. Um, he's great outside the pocket on the run. He's got accuracy from virtually every throwing level uh, and platform. Um, he's got um, uh, moxie and cool about him. Um, he's he's been there and done that. You know, it's in his. He's got that. Um, some people call it athletic intelligence. It's it is it's measurable psychologically. He's got it. Um, that's what people that's the the that's the the 
civilians like me call it the it factor. Yeah. yeah. Um, psychologists call it athletic intelligence quotient. Um, he's got all of that. Does he have people surrounding him? No. And so it's going to be a little rocky for him probably the first year. And they're going to have to work very hard to make sure that his mechanics don't deteriorate because right. he's going to be running around yep. quite a bit. Uh, having said that, I love the coach. I love the offensive coordinator. I love the system. And as long as they don't abuse the bootleg and the waggle and the, and, and, and the, and the, the dash passes where they're letting them use his legs um, and they build the running game and the play action, they build a play action game around the running game. I think he'll be okay. He will not have a great season because there, there just isn't enough talent there. But as I say, I, I love the head coach. I, I love the general manager. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. Um, so down the road, I think he's going to be fine. But um, he, he's going to have to uh, he's going to have to survive the New York media. Now, the good news is I'm told that he doesn't even pay attention to any of that stuff. He kind of lives his own life and he's his own guy and, and he's not caught up in any of that. So like Mac Jones, he's probably not going to be as, as, as bothered by that as he otherwise would. You're right. Moving along. Here we go. This is this is definitely one that I get the vibe that you think probably should have a full redshirt year. What did you see from Justin Fields in the preseason that you like? Anything you didn't like? What are your thoughts after seeing the quick preseason view of Justin Fields? First of all, non-scientific, couple of dozen friends, uh, football people, all of whom I respect, universal that he should get a redshirt year. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, for reasons that have nothing to do with what you have seen and heard from media and broadcasters. And clearly there's one outlet that is hanging their hat on making him a star. Right. And, and that's fine. I mean, that they're, they're in the business to do that. You just don't have to believe it. They, they don't force you to believe it. They try hard, but they, they don't force you to believe it. So here's what he does well. Um, he, uh, he, he, he is very good running the football. Um, he's very good escaping the rush because he's big and strong and, um, and it takes a pretty good lick to knock him down. Like the guy from Buffalo who knocked his helmet off. Um, he is excellent. And with with really excellent accuracy on the deep ball, and he can throw that in or out of the pocket. In fact, he's a little bit better out of the pocket. We haven't seen a big sample size of him in the pocket because they, they their offensive line isn't very good. So he's out, right. he was out of it a lot. A lot of movement. Yeah, he's very good running the ball in the in the red zone because he's big and powerful, and the tendency is to want to run quarterback power power with him and we'll talk a little bit more of that in the context of uh, Lance. That's not good. Um, and uh, it's not good for him uh, in the long run. Uh, inside the pocket touch, 
uh, reading, uh, processing, getting the ball out quickly, being accurate with it. C, not ready yet. Yep. Not ready. So Coach Nagy's doing the right thing. He's resisting the, the, the you know, the, the hue and cry from the media. And, and, he, and, he, and he's playing Andy, which is the right thing to do. Let this young man develop and learn and develop a, a, a different, he has to have, he has to have a different skill set than that which he had at, um, at, at Ohio State. And what we saw, this is not me talking now, but a, but a, but a, a, a former quarterback coach who I respect greatly, what we saw on tape is always what we see on tape. Is that an oxymoron or 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 or, or gobbledygook? Is that a, is that no. a is that a tautology? Yeah, no, the podcast isn't skipping. It's what you saw on tape was against defenses that muddied up the pocket, i.e., Indiana and uh, and uh, Northwestern, and didn't give him easy escape routes, i.e., Indiana and Northwestern there. Their rush squeezed him and didn't run by him and didn't give him daylight in which to run uh, or broke the, you know, no, no edge protection, no contain and didn't give him the, and, and didn't allow him out of the pocket. He had more difficulty. So what we saw on tape is what we saw in the preseason. It's real. Yep. Mm-hmm. He has to learn to develop. He has to develop touch. He has to he has to learn to read better in in the pocket, and he has to re- learn not to rely on his legs constantly. Can't do that. So, um, should he sit? Yeah, he should. Right. Is he going to be good? I think his skill set tells you that he's going to be very good because he's big and strong. And uh, even now, unless you've got a really controlled rush. You don't want to turn your back in uh, in the secondary on him, A. And B, when it comes to tackling in the secondary, just like Cam Newton, that's not a pleasant task for most most defensive backs. Uh, So he he has a lot going for him. But but let's let him learn his craft and and let's get a better offensive line in front of him. Uh, And then, then you'll maximize his ability. I want to put a, a, just a huge stop sign on the narrative that's being floated, particularly on one network, which is, yeah, we agree the offensive line is lousy. So let them run around and make plays. Right. Yeah. If you want to get them hurt, that's fine. But I, as a general manager, a former right. general manager, and I'm sure that Chicago Bears staff and ownership don't want to get him hurt. Yeah. Right. So sorry about that. That's lunacy. What is up? Exciting news, gang. Our pod is partnering with Play Action Pools this season to bring some interactive fun to the sports we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayAction.com Pools Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. All right, so here's how it works. Sign up for the contest, Believe Football Pick'em. That's B-L-E-A-V. 
Football Pick'em at PlayActionPools.com, and then you'll get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest-profile games of the week between NFL and college. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to PlayActionPools.com and sign up for the contest. Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to PlayActionPools today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as cool sportsbook-style concepts called build your bankroll play action pools it will be your new home for all your office sports pools let's go to sort of a a, 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 a move back to thirty thousand feet and see this bill are there when you take into account what's what's really technically right from a football standpoint versus the cacophony from the media, the outcry from the fans, the owner's own tolerance for losing. Um, Are there franchises where you would, as a head coach, be, and, and also, I guess, you know, where you are in your own head coaching career in terms of uh, you know, the, where, how close are you getting to the top of Mount Olympus, but given all that, are there are there places where head coaches are just going to have to fold and give in to this other those really ignorant uh, force this pressure versus other places where either through the ownership or the reputation of the coach they can sustain themselves against that and push back and say I don't care what you say. Well, it depends, number one, on the length of his contract. <laughs> so well, that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> if you have a long contract, then, then and, you, and co- you're, immediate, you're bulletproof. And, and I'll tell the, the head coaches, contracts are guaranteed, so they're getting paid either way. Yeah, so. that's exactly right. Every every coaching contract is guaranteed. So, uh, you know, if you have a long contract, then you're bulletproof. You can do what you want. If you have a short contract, you're much more susceptible to pressure uh, sometimes it isn't from ownership, it's from within the organization. Uh, people in other departments, in the legal department, in the, in the, in the marketing department. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, worst. they're, they're big in, ones. In, in PR, you know, who are, who are constantly on living on the internet and bombarded by the fans and so forth and so on. And sadly, sadly, um, if you stick to your guns and lose, you're going to lose. You have to be willing to do that. Yeah. You have to be willing to do that. I had, there were a couple of times in my career where I was told you, you better win. Yeah. You want to stick with this? It didn't have to do with the quarterback, obviously, because we had Jim Kelly and, 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 and Peyton Manning. So that was not an issue, but uh, on other issues where I went against the, the conventional wisdom and, and, and where, you know, uh, an assistant coach was vilified by by the media and and of course vilified by the fans and and that got to ownership and and the people around the owner were part of the vilification uh, posse and uh and, and I just said no I'm not going to do it it's not right he's a good coach this is all wrong uh, and uh and and coach levy uh, uh, agreed with that and um, and Mr Wilson said well okay do it your way. 
if it doesn't work out, right? You know what the consequences are. Yeah. <laughs> I do it my way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, that, that's hey, that's the way you do it. Um, yeah. you, you have to have the courage to 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 say, look, this is the right thing to do. Right. And and sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it goes against your own personal self-interest. But in my experience, when you do the right thing, more often than not, it works out okay. And when you do the wrong thing, more often than not, it bites you in the end anyway. And I'll give you a prime example. It would have been 09, I guess. We win 14 straight or 15 straight. I can't remember which it was. And we said, with the approval of Mr. Ursay at midseason, I said, let me put this to rest. We have agreed organizationally that the undefeated season means nothing to us. Zero. We don't care about it. Because they don't give any trophies for being undefeated. Ask the New England Patriots. Yeah. Are they happy about that banner? No. In fact, people deride it. So we don't care about the undefeated season. What we care about is going to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. Okay, fine. Nothing. Nobody said anything. Get to week 13, and now the newspaper decides this is an issue. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't go for the undefeated season, if you actually sit people down to get ready for the playoffs, and you don't go for the undefeated season, then you're a communist. Right. And you should <laughs> be fired on the yeah, spot. Exactly. You should be exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you, put, Napoleon, are leading the charge. Put right. in the stockade so they can throw rotten tomatoes at you in the central square of Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we just, we just did what we thought was best. We ended up losing a game that was meaningless. Um, I had someone, not Mr. Hersey, but someone in the organization come to me and say that I need to apologize to the fans <laughs> for having not played Peyton for four quarters in that game. Um, and I just, I didn't shrug my shoulders. I, far from it. I was, you know, with the individual who asked me to do that, I was blunt and, and, and forthright. And that's probably putting it charitably. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, you know, we won the AFC championship and, but for an injury to, um, Dwight Freeney, ironically, on the last play of the championship game when, you know, it really didn't matter. Um, he injured his he got a high ankle sprain, couldn't make it for the Super Bowl. And, and we lost to New Orleans, but we made it to the Super Bowl. And that was the point. Um, people, you know, certain media people still talk about that in Indianapolis. It's, it's mostly... It's mostly dead now, but right. at the time it was at the time it was a cause celeb. So um, you, you just have to do what you think is best in the end. 
That's always a good lesson to live by. All right. Well, if Justin Fields is a one-year red shirt, is Trey Lance more of like a two-year red shirt? No, I don't think so. And 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 I worry a little bit about Trey Lance from this perspective. Um, Coach Shanahan was in 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 Washington with RG three, and he knows how to exploit a running quarterback and do it well. The problem is you can get addicted to that, and then the guy ends up getting hurt. Not a good end of the movie. Not a good end to the movie in Washington, and you and not a good end to the movie with Cam, and not a good end to the movie. Although Cam had, you know, for for five eighths of the movie, it was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. still yeah. the last act, not so still, good. Still, the true. last act was, was not. Good. It was, wasn't a happy ending. It was not. He was in the phone booth for a good part of the time, but after that, he was locked in the phone booth and couldn't get out. So, uh, you know, I worry a little bit about about that now there is a school of thought which which i respect which says listen these guys are the wave of the future um and we'll use them for as long as we can use them and and if injury shortens his career then we'll turn to the next guy uh and Washington, in fact, smartly did that by drafting Cousins in the fourth round in the event that RG3 got hurt, right? which actually happened. Poor RG3. I mean, I feel sorry for him. but And, and, and certainly no coach wants to get him hurt. But you just increase – when you run the quarterback, you play 11 on 11. I, I, I spoke with an offensive tackle, two offensive tackles in the last couple of weeks. Who say who said the same thing? You know, when we when when the running guy is in the game, we're playing on eleven on eleven. That makes it easier for us, right? And you're right; they do. It is. That's <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> but physically on the quarterback, it's hard. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, you know, you have to you have to you have to use that judiciously. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, he won't. He can protect himself with his legs, and I think he'll develop enough touch and enough, uh, enough awareness to be able to play a year from now. And what I gather is that they're going to have a package for him, which will consist of an outside run, an inside run, a boot, a waggle, and, and perhaps a quarterback power. They may use him in the, in the goal, goal line and short yardage the way uh, – Denver, uh, I'm sorry, New Orleans used uh, Taysom Hill or uses Taysom Hill. So um, now he's not as big as Taysom Hill, <laughs> no, but uh, uh, I think he'll be okay. I think he'll be okay. But it's going to take time. He's not ready now. Yeah, is it? I mean, is is both the level he played at and the brevity of his career, which is high to me, highly unusual. From my memory of a of a first round quarterback, how he still could overcome that sort of in that year time frame, you know, the way a Notre Dame quarterback or whatever could be able to do so if if if, if properly handled. Yeah, I think so. I mean, okay. Mitchell Trubisky is is the same as Lance, except that he didn't take a year off and he played at a at a much higher level. But they're the same guy, overdrafted. 
you know, skill set that's different than the norm. Um, so, and, I'm, and by the way, I'm not criticizing the overdrafting. That's yeah, it's, it's part of the thing. It's but yeah, the the draft industrial complex has guaranteed that. So yeah, you know, if you want the guy, you have to take him there. Um, so uh, Mitchell has overcome it and gotten better. And and I would have liked to have seen more of him in the preseason. Uh, obviously, the Bills didn't want you to see more of him, but uh, they, for reasons that, that have to do with the regular season. But if he does get a chance to play, I think you're going to see a quarterback who's improved because he did improve in Chicago and uh, maybe not good enough to take you to the promised land. But there are teams that that could use Mitchell Trubisky. So he he got better. Yeah. And uh, and I think Lance will be the same way. Very true. All right. Well, we're going to bring it home with a little quick look at officiating. So, Bill, what do we need to be aware of in terms of rule changes for 2021? Well, I think the only real substantive change that's going to affect the game is the point of emphasis on uh, helmet-to-helmet contact. Um, it, first of all, it's a badly written rule. The reason it's a point of emphasis is it's hard for the officials to officiate it. And in the, in the point of view of some in the league office, not the competition committee, but some in the league office, it wasn't called enough last year. That's because it's hard to call because you don't know who's at fault, you know. Um, and so it's 15 yards. Thank God, unlike the colleges, it's not ejection. But uh, 15 yards is huge in the National Football League. And so um, if it is a point of emphasis and if they insist on calling it um, in, in all but the most obvious circumstances, um, that's going to affect the game. And as I say, it's a badly written rule. Uh, it didn't need to be that way. It could have, they could have used the existing butt, ram, and spear rule and just made that a point of emphasis with a uh, I would have argued for a uh, an exception for uh, incidental contact, but it is what it is. We have it, and uh, let's see what, uh, what what it plays. If you want to see, and I, I can't remember, uh, Miss, Mississippi, uh, who did Mississippi play the other night? Uh, uh, Louisville. Louisville. If you want to see uh, a bad rule uh, emphasized, look at the tape of that game. I believe five targeting penalties, five ejections. The ejection is terrible. It shouldn't be there. All officiated by replay. None called on the field, if I remember correctly. Maybe one called on the field. And, uh, it, uh, you know, I would term it a disgrace. That's, you know, you want to get the head out of the game, granted, but you don't have five ejections in a game. You can't overcome that. No. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, and then, thankfully, the colleges have done away with the walk of shame where the guys, the guy is, is, is escorted from the bench as though right, you get to he robbed the bank yeah. or kidnapped a child or something right. like that. You know, he does a perp walk from the bench yeah. to the locker right. room. Yeah. But, you know, let's not count on our friends at the NCAA to do anything rational. But, uh, of course. Yeah. Or hey, something. Well, you know, players. Uh, Bill, you know the, the you know let's, let's get, give them their due. They 
they are still some of the greatest 18th century minds of all time at the NCAA. <laughs> well, the point is that if that rule in the NFL is a point of emphasis, we're going to we're going to see some um, some calls that are both controversial and and affect, affect yeah. miscarriages of justice. So, so Bill, just in a basic way. So, you know, I am, you know, a 240 pound running back that's broken through this, the second level. And I'm coming up on a, you know, 190 pound uh, cornerback. I put my head down. What's the guy supposed to do? And he's going to, I mean, the lower guy wins. How's how's the guy even supposed to physically protect himself and make the tackle? Uh, You know, unless he just does a Torrier door and lets the guy go by. I asked the, uh, when I was at ESPN during the briefing, I asked the author of that rule and he didn't have an answer. Right. Because you you go to me. And I haven't heard one since. Yeah. Except uh, except one lawyer said it's strict liability. We'll call it on both. If if we're not sure, we'll call it on both. Well, this is going to sound like a Homer situation, but to me, the nightmare scenario is what happened in the Penn State Wisconsin game, where you know towards the end of the game, Wisconsin's kind of driving. Penn State's got full momentum. You know, Mertz is running to the sidelines. Ellis Brooks engages with his shoulder. His shoulder slides up. The helmet to helmet contact. Don't call anything on the field. Looks like it's going to be a no call. Then Wisconsin calls a timeout. The crowd influences the officiating. The officials look at it, and before you know it, one of the best defensive players on Penn State's defense, Ellis Brooks, is out of the game. And that worries me a little bit with this on Sundays of how coaches may use timeouts or different things to try to manipulate these moments to get a different judgment. And in college, it's obviously more penal because the, the player's out of the game. But Yeah, the ejection is what makes it disgraceful, the, uh, yeah. competitively disgraceful. The, the – uh, um, there are, by the way, targeting hits that where it, ejection would be called for. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not yeah. absolutely I'm not dismissing that at all. But this is a poorly written rule and a poorly conceived rule. And so there are many more miscarriages of justice than, than justice being done. Um, now, in, in our league, you got the you don't need to wait to call a timeout necessarily, although coaches will because you got the video assistant up in the booth now who can get involved. So it's, it's almost like a sky thing. judge. It, it is sky judge. That's what it is. Other than a uh, name. Yeah. yeah. You can't have the name. Uh, the Charlie patented that one. <laughs> Trademark. The, 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 but that's, that's who it is with, with, uh, with, with somewhat, they say somewhat circumscribed responsibility. Sky judge had total responsibility if he thought he saw a foul to call downstairs and say, take a look at this. We think there's a foul. Uh, They claim that that's not the case. We'll see how it works in practice. Furthermore, um, there's been turnover at the league office. As you know, Al Riveron, who was the supervisor of officials has left. And now Walt Anderson and Perry Fuel apparently are sharing that job. And, and so that's a whole different kettle of fish altogether. So let's keep an eye on officiating in general. But the uh, use of the helmet uh, rule in particular, because that is uh, a point of emphasis, which means the official have been told to call it. 
and and two, um, it's punitive. It's 15 yards, so um, that that's a big deal. The other thing that they've that is not a point of emphasis that should be is offensive holding. They called uh, 50% fewer offensive holding penalties last year, uh, and 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 they're on pace to do more than that this year in the preseason. Typically, you see more flags in the preseason this year. We saw less. Um, so, uh, even on points of emphasis. So, um, is this new officiating directorship going to be a, we're officiating, which, which by the way, Walt Anderson said he did, he actually said he was going to do this and the officials been instructed to do it. And then he walked it back because it met with such a hue and cry. But uh, I, I think it's really his bedrock philosophy, officiate the play, no harm, no foul, don't throw the flag. Right. Do you do you think that the new rules about chop blocks will impact holding calls? No, they won't impact holding calls. They'll they'll they'll. It's a bad rule as well. Yeah. Um, There's it's it's going to impact literally defensive backs who are being run over by 315 pound offensive tackles, and uh, and secondly, um, it, it's going to improve the, the 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 bubble screen and and RPO game. Uh, particularly the bubble screen because those guys can get out in front now and 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 the, and the, the defensive backs can't avoid contact by going low. What do you do if you're if you're a yeah 190 pound defensive back and you got to take on a 6'5", 320 pound tackle pulling? How do you how do you how do you how do you turn the play in? Run away. You don't. Yeah. So you don't. Yeah. You know it's the same as. Here's a trend in the game. Officiating always creates trends, by the way. Um, people don't know that, but it's, and the media doesn't know anything about that. Fans don't either, generally speaking. Um, so we now have what amounts to uh, nine routes, deep routes down the field. Right. No such thing as illegal contact. You can push, you can shove, you, you, can, you can grab a jersey, grab the guy by the wrist. The two of them can arm bar each other. And until the ball gets there, there's no flag. We've eliminated, based on what I saw in the preseason, we've eliminated illegal contact uh, down the field on nine rounds. And, and some of it even on crossing rounds, where we're, we're, getting, we're getting people, uh, you know, DBs, collision crosses, uh, no flags. So if that's the case, then one person said to me, yeah, they don't call holding, offensive holding, but it balances out because they don't call illegal contact, particularly on deep routes as well. Well, that's not true. Yeah. But it sounds logical to people who don't understand the fish game. Right. And, and, and you also have previously debunked the uh, off-sighted myth that, you know, on every single play, if you really looked at it, there'd be offensive holding on every single play. And no, that's, that's not true. It's not that's, true. It's not true. No, right. No. Yeah. Because they, and, people don't understand the definition of offensive holding. Right. But this one, you know, when, when a guy's out in the open and, you know, why, why are, who was the constituency 
that was pushing for this to try and, um, you know, eliminate a guy who, uh, a wide receiver who makes a good move or uses his speed and gets by. Well, you know, why, why are we trying to stop that guy from grabbing the ball and maybe going all the way? I mean, what, what was the idea behind it? Well, first of all, the officials don't like to throw flags and they especially don't like to throw them on close plays because that subjects them to criticism, subjects them perhaps to um, bad grades by the league office. And so they invented what, what, what was called a no-call. You don't, when, when it's a good no-call, quote, unquote, uh, you don't get penalized. So number one, the, the constituency is the officials. Um, number two, it's the league office because there are many in the league office that don't like a lot of penalties in games. They think it slows down the game and chops up the game and, and they don't think it means all that much. The, the, the philosophy I just shared with you. Yeah. yeah. Offensive holding go. Who right. cares that who cares that that Donald is the best get get only was called one was you Aaron Donald was called once for holding. They call one hold, a holding penalty on the people blocking Aaron Donald. That's that's impossible. Right. In the whole last season. Yeah. So yeah. You, you just took a guy who's paid millions of dollars and he should be because he's the very best at his position and, and said a 330 pound slug who can't move his feet can wrestle him to the ground and, and there's no call. Yeah. I well, mean, first of all, it's, it's bad business because why would the, why would the Rams have paid him that way? If he wasn't that great, he is. And, and secondly, um, you know, why would you want that? And the answer is fans like points. And the more we can do to help the offense, the better off we are. And by the way, we'll balance it out by not calling illegal contact on nine roads down the field. Let them pull and shove and push and grab wrists and do whatever they want to do because it'll balance out in the end. And last year, we were 49 points a game, I believe, was the 45 points a game is the sweet spot between the two teams. We're over, which indicates that officiating should be reigning in some stuff, but it didn't. The excuse last year was COVID. Yeah. We can't practice like we did. We didn't have a preseason. So I didn't see any change in officiating during the preseason, but let's see what happens in a regular season. So, you know, I guess what this is going to, to be with this downfield, anything goes, uh, we go back to uh, your game against New England where they basically did everything but take out blackjacks and club your receivers uh, yeah, to stop them yeah. getting open. So yeah. that's that's, that's right. what this is going to be now. We're turning this into Irish hurling. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. yeah. If I can. Yes. You know, word, yeah. Well, I think that is that is the. I think we're now fully prepared for the season, Rick. So thank you for the comparison. All right. Well, I think we we've, we've hit it all today. We've 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 hit on what what Bill's takeaways were from the preseason. A little bit of a Q, rookie QB preview and a little bit of officiating. Bill, I know you don't like to make any kind of predictions, but who would you be surprised? Let's wrap on this. Who would you be surprised if they aren't good, and who do you think is going to be pretty good this year? Well, I, I I'd be surprised if the Chargers aren't aren't good after week um, one. They, they had it. Pardon? After week one. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Well, after week one, number one, <laughs> and number two, they lost. Apparently, Austin Eckler has hamstring issues again. So that you know, injuries determine everything. Yeah. Um. 
So I'd be surprised if the Chargers aren't good. Um, I think Tampa Bay is the most complete team in the league at every position, but they're old. And, uh, and so injuries could, could decimate that team when it's all said and done, including a quarterback. I hope not, but, but it could. Um, I'll be surprised if New England isn't good. I think that this is the, I think New England has the best defense they've had since the first Super Bowl iteration with Teddy Bruschi and Seymour and, 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 and the corner and, you know, that, that, that group, mm-hmm. um, this is a, and it's, it's complete in a sense that Bill can play base parcels three, four. He can play blitzing three, four. He can play four, three. He's got, an, he's got more than enough skill and more than enough players to be as multiple as he wants to be, which is usually usually a prescription for failure by the other team. So all the talk has been about Mac Jones and the offense. The talk should have been about how good and how deep the defense is, and you'll find that out pretty early, I think. It's going to be a fun week four in the NFL. Mark it down. October 3rd, the Sunday night game. It's going to be all the way live when the Bucks and Tom Brady go up to New England, and we're going to get to see it. So it's going to be a fun year. Thank you, guys. Anything else we need to hit on before we wrap this week? No, sir. Uh, it's a good, good, good episode. Hope everybody enjoys it, and uh, stay safe out there. All right. Get vaccinated, please. Get vaccinated. If you've got anything you want us to hit on future episodes, hit us up on Twitter at I have Bill Polian. We will be sure to cover it. Thank you, guys. Enjoy week one. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.